without no, the man with no introduction needed. Paul, love you, man. Just pray real quick. Father, let your word run and be glorified in Jesus' name. Um, <clears throat> I believe this uh, picture I shared at 630. Uh, it's a prophetic picture, and it actually was a painting done by a missionary, and the picture is over Japan. But as um, Clint was sharing about Paul getting up, and I know what Paul's going to speak about, so I want you to keep this prophetic picture in the back of your mind. The picture was a painting of the heavens opening up. So you can picture the heavens and water, his water of life. It's pouring out of the heavens. And this particular picture was pouring out over Japan. Not only was the water of life pouring down over Japan, and it's apropos for now, I, I just said, Lord, thank you. I've got to find that picture. But Jesus was standing over that country. And as we were uh, talking here earlier, I just saw the picture now, the, the picture of Jesus standing over our whole world, our whole world. Now, there have been many people who have had pictures of a tsunami coming into our world. I had one in 04, where the earth, the axle, axis of the earth just moved. And that's what happened with this tsunami. And we know that this is going to be happening. But the, I had that in 04, and I just kept that in my heart, thinking of what God is doing now. He's shaking not only Japan. He's shaking all over the world. And so we just pray, thank you, Lord. You're shaking, yes, in the physical, but also in the spiritual. So keep that in mind as he speaks tonight, that God's speaking to you. Thanks. Fun to be with Clint. Fun to travel with him. We had a good time together. I, yeah. I got a video if you want to see it of Paul doing push-ups in front of the crowd. <laughs> yes, please. It was, it was fun to watch. <laughs> Ship it, right, big guy? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> At that church, we did something that I have never done before, and I doubt that it's uh, happened in Latvia. I asked the pastor if we could pray for everybody, and we'd have an altar call, and they got their pick of three different places they'd go to. We didn't know if they'd do it. Everybody did it. Everybody got prayed for in the church, got, at least once. Then after they came down from the altar, Clint was praying for physical. I was praying for those for uh, healing from sin, brokenness and sin. And Fred, who also came with us, was praying for uh, sorrow, sorrow of the heart. So... Uh, that was a really special, we had many special times. As we were going from Latvia to Finland, I knew that as soon as I got there, I'd be uh, speaking. And I gave God three choices for what I'd uh, talk on. <laughs> and uh, Fred prayed for me, uh, Fred Tony. And when I asked him what, which one he wanted me to use, he just said no. And Fred said no as well. So uh, that was confirmed. So I had uh, I had a little time driving from Helsinki to Tampere for, for God to put something in my heart, and he put something 
in my heart that I want to share with you tonight. And I uh, start out in the form of a question. The question is this. Are you a victim? What is a victim? A victim is someone who, because of pain or difficulty in their life, take on the identity of that sorrow. For instance, we prayed for many in Latvia who came forward for prayer, many, many women who were victims in their marriage. They took an identity. Identity changes you. And I'll tell you about what that is. You might have an identity. I'm the child who was emotionally abused or had a distant father. I'm the one who flunked out of college. I'm the one who is divorced. And so you identify with that to the point where it, it keeps you. You're stuck in that place. You're no longer living in the future. You're living in the past. Turn to Exodus chapter 16. Israel is moving out of Egypt They still have kind of a slave mentality, and they're going from Egypt to the promised land. They never get there because they adopt this mentality, this victim mentality. When you adopt a victim mentality, you're not walking into your future. You're walking backwards. You're going into your past. And some people have it without even realizing they have it. Here's Israel, chapter 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam. And came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Grumbling is the language of a victim. A victim feels entitled to say what they want to say. Grumble against God because they have a sense of entitlement. I deserve better than this. I don't deserve this. And so... They grumble about their situation. And look at these words. The Israelites said to them, if only. What's their if only? If only we had died by the Lord's hand in in Egypt. So they're looking behind and saying, if only. Now, see if you can construct a few if onlys. Think about it. If only my parents loved me more. If only I didn't get sick. If only we hadn't lost our child. If only it isn't so miserable in in the desert here. Here's a sad thing. If you turn over to Numbers, they're still saying if only. Numbers chapter 11. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing. They're still grumbling. If only... We had meat to eat. So God tested them, and they turned around. They're testing God. Turn to chapter 14. The night, all the people of the, uh, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled. Man, they can't get over this, can they? Finally, they, they grumbled for 40 years, and God says, I've had it. He was angry, and he said, you're not going into your land. See, we're walking into the future. We're walking toward our destiny. And on the way, God grants us pain to prepare us, to get us ready for what he wants to do in us. But if we're just grumbling and complaining, turning around and saying, well, if only this hadn't happened, if only these things hadn't occurred to me. So in chapter 14, against Moses, and the whole assembly said to them, 
If only we had died in Egypt. So they're not looking to the future. They're looking around. They're looking back to the past. Turn to John chapter 5, where we meet a man who is paralyzed. Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda. And there are blind, lame, and paralyzed at this pool. Well, normally when Jesus sees a group of sick people, he's going to heal them all. But not this time. The father has him focusing on one person. He hears about him, learns that he's been sick for 38 years, and he asks him a question. Do you want to be well? Now, why would you ask somebody a question like that if they've been sick for 38 years? I mean, you, what would you expect? Here's my moment. Whoa, I've been waiting for this for 38 years. What do you hear? Is that what you get? Sir, the invalid, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes in ahead of me. There's something about a victim that resists hope. It's hard for them to hope. They're in a continual state of discouragement. And they want you to help them because they don't want to help themselves. They can't help themselves. They've decided that they can. So they're living in their past. They're living with what could have been, should have been, might have been, isn't. And that's their identity. That's who they are. Here's the paralyzed man. And his physical paralysis is a picture of his emotional and spiritual paralysis. He's not going anywhere. He's not doing anything. But you've got to help him, see? You've got to help him. And if you don't, if you don't understand his situation, he'll, he'll add your name to people who don't like me list. And uh, he'll feel like the, the victim who's entitled to something better. These people should have helped me. Somebody should get me in that pool. What's wrong with these people? Why aren't they helping me? And so Jesus pulls the rug out from underneath him. He heals him. No more excuses. Victims have a problem with excuses. And they have a problem with sin because of their feeling of entire entitlement. I deserve better than this. You've got to understand me. You've got to understand my situation. Give me a break. Try to understand. It's all about them. The focus is on them. Self. And so what would be some of the sins that a person who's adopted a victim mentality would be most likely prone to? We've already said, okay, self-pity is a big one. Pleasure, worldly pleasure is a big one because they feel, hey, you've got to understand me. I, uh, I, I... my life is miserable, and you got to understand. And so they make excuses for crossing the line, for compromising. Anything else? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. A lot of people that they, they don't like because they don't understand them. Bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness is a big one. Absalom was bitter toward his dad. You know, his dad wasn't a good father, unfortunately. He was a better fighter than he was a father. And David didn't know how to love. He loved Absalom, but didn't know how to show it. 
Absalom took that and became bitter, and it, it, it caused his death. It's very sad. But he was a bitter victim. He was the young man with the father who was a better fighter than a father. That was, that was his identity. The elder brother. He was victimized by a gracious father. You never gave me anything that I might make merry with my friends. He's mad at his dad. And it kept him from receiving Kept him from moving into his future. Clench your fist. That's the fist of a victim. It may not be their fist like this, but it's their heart. Another sin is the sin of unbelief. Unbelief, you know, it may not sound serious to you. You may say, well, I just, I just struggle with doubt. I just have a lot of doubts. Look at Hebrews 3. And what it says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The children of Israel had a sinful, unbelieving heart. God wanted to work miracles in their midst. God wanted to provide for them. He was giving them miracles day after day. And when they got close to the land, got to take a look at it, they found giants. They believed in the giants more than they believed in the than in the Lord, in the Lord's uh, provision for them. So they never got there. So unbelief is a big sin. So victims <coughs> excuse their behavior and they want you to help them because they can't help themselves. It could be a, a bad marriage. You know, and you could say, hey, I, I can understand yeah, this person's a jerk. If if only, if only I hadn't married this person, or if only uh, our our kid hadn't died. Do you have any if onlys? Can you think of any that are tucked away back there? If only I hadn't flunked out. If only I hadn't lost that job. If you come up with any if onlys, probably something quit growing. At that point, something that you you adopted an identity that kept you from moving ahead into what God has for you. So what do we do with that? How do we overcome? I'm going to give you some things that we can do to help us break out of victimization. And then I'm going to have you stand if you if you've adopted a victim mentality. So the first thing. We exercise faith. The reason I say that is that victims don't exercise faith. They exercise F-A-T-E. Que sera, seri, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Hmm. Is that true? That's a lie. That's a lie. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things not seen. If you don't like your life, change it. <laughs> By faith. And so here is a man. Mark chapter 9, 22, who comes to Jesus with a boy 
who is at least a teenager, has had it since childhood, the father said. He's seriously demonized, deaf and dumb. And Jesus asks him how long he's had it. He tells him. And then the man says, from childhood, it has thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If somebody said to you, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us, what would you say? I'm here for you. At least you'd be tempted to, wouldn't you? Yes, of course I will. Of course. We'd feel pity for them. Well, that's the problem. Victims all often get pity, and it stops with pity. They get their support from that. Jesus didn't simply pity this person because he saw a victim mentality. What do you see? He saw a man that was hopeless and helpless. He wasn't exercising faith. He was saying, if you can do anything, because I can't do anything, I'm helpless. And Jesus threw it right back at him. He said, if you can, everything is possible to him who believes. In other words, you need to believe, Father. You need to see that you have something. You have some options in this situation. You're not helpless. You're not hopeless. You're not a victim. You can do something in this situation. You can believe for your boy. And you know what he says. He, he has honest response. I believe help. My unbelief. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What if a victim says, well, I can't draw near. And God says, well, I'll come to you. No, then I'm not coming. Malachi says, return to me and I will return to you. He's saying to you, you take this step. Especially if you've been victimized and you're paralyzed in your thinking. Paralysis is a sad thing when it's physical. It's more sad when it's spiritual. And we're not, we're not going anywhere, not doing anything. We think we're going forward. We're going in reverse. We have if-onlys. See, God calls us to what if. What if God blessed my business? What if he healed my son? What if he chose to bring me into my promised land, into my destiny? What if God used me to bring miracles? See, you're dreaming. You're looking toward the future. If only it's paralyzed you because they keep you from moving. And you're just stuck. That's what a victim is. A victim is stuck. Say stuck. Stuck. You can't get anywhere. You're not going anywhere. So he calls us to a place of exercising faith, which says, I can do something about this. I can change my situation. I can walk into a preferred future. I have some options here. If you're a victim, you don't have options. But God wanted this man to see. Well, he could heal his son, but he'd still be a victim. So he's going to change that situation. So that's the first thing. We exercise faith. We, we move from passivity to a place of action. Second, to be a victor rather than a victim, understand the comfort of Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who in all ways was tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near to the throne of grace 
that we may find mercy, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does Jesus give us? Two things. He gives us sympathy, but then he gives us grace. See, if all you get was sympathy, I came home one day some time ago, and there was, uh, uh, we had at that time uh, a girl living with us that had uh, been disciplined. She felt unjustly in a situation at her school, and she was out in the patio, and some of my family members were commiserating with her, and she was building her case. If you're a victim, and sometimes you can be a temporary victim. This is just a temporary victim. Or you can be a victim over a long period of time. She felt victimized by this situation with this teacher. So she was rehearsing her case, building her evidence. You know, we don't, we don't think of it that way. But First uh, John 2.1 says we've got an attorney if we need one. But if you don't need one. If you, can, you, you can be your own attorney if you want. And she was being her own attorney. And she was gathering support from my family. She came in the house and I said, you got two choices. She said, what are they? I said, what do you think they are? I suppose I could forgive him. I, yeah, you could do that. And I said, if you did that, then you could... And I try to be gentle with this, but I said you could keep your mouth shut. Now, it sounds like I'm being unkind. The people outside were helping her. Not in this situation. We don't help if all we give somebody is sympathy because we're just digging a hole deeper. We're letting them feel. We're, we're feeling with them. We're taking up their cause and saying, yeah, that was unjust. Let's go after him. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not open his mouth. He committed his cause to him who judges justly. Jesus trusted. If you want to learn how not to be a victim, keep your mouth shut, keep your conscience clear, and keep your heart open. That's what First Timothy 2, 1 Peter 2, 18 and 24 says. That that's how we learn not to be a victim. Because we're collecting our evidence. And then Jesus says, well, I'll back up. You're okay without me. And God worked in her life, taught her a wonderful lesson, and worked out this situation. So Jesus takes us beyond just uh, sympathy. I went over that verse today because I wanted him to understand something that I was struggling with. Thank God he does. He identifies with us. He knows our situation. So he's not being har- heartless. He's not just saying, hey, get over it. You're suffering. Get over it. He really does understand. But then he gives us grace. What is grace? Grace is more than forgiveness. Grace is the power to be what God wants us to be and the power to do what he wants us to do. So grace is often aligned in the scripture with power. That's what Jesus gives to us. Third, put off sin. Now, hear how active that is. Ephesians 4 says, put off. It's like just like taking off a shirt. Can you do that? Yeah, you can. That's what the Bible says you can. Can you change your heart? No. But you can bring forth the fruit of repentance 
and say, God, I am stopping this anger. I'm stopping this unwholesome talk, knowing that you will work in my heart. When John said, bring forth the fruit of repentance, what was that? He said, well, sh- soldiers, don't take more than what you're, what, you're le- what you're worth. In other words, you can do those things, and then as you're doing them, you're putting those things off, and you're saying, God, you changed my heart. So I encourage, if I'm talking to a couple, and they say, we don't love each other anymore. She said, I don't know. I didn't know he was such a jerk. Okay, what, what would you do if you knew you were in love? Well, he said, I'd probably spend more time with her. I'd probably take her out. Probably be kind to her. Okay, start doing those things. Because as I heard a friend once say, it's easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than feel your way into a new way of acting. You're not being untrue to your heart by acting on what the Word of God calls you to do. You're being true to your new nature by doing that. Well, I don't feel it. Who cares? That doesn't make any difference. God can touch your heart and he can change your feelings if you start acting your way into it. So a victim needs to know there are things I can do. You can put it off. You can put things off that aren't right in your life. Next. Well, we're... Look to the cross. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame. As a victim, I might say, well, why do I have to go through this? Why me? Well, one good response to that is, why not you? If Jesus went the way of the cross, why would I complain if I go through difficulties? Why would I grumble if things aren't to my choosing? What's in me that makes me think I, have, I deserve a smooth ride? Not only do I not deserve a smooth ride, but a smooth ride wouldn't do me any good. I go from Egypt to the promised land, and the pathway is the pathway of pain. And if I can learn to steward the pain and the suffering that God gives me, I'm on my way to my destiny. A victor, not a victim, but a victor stewards his pain. As a friend of mine says, everything belongs. Think about that. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, saying, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. I told a friend this morning, it's interesting that God has taken the very thing that has humiliated you, and that's becoming your strength, isn't it? It's just like God to do that. Just like God to take the sorrows of your life and say, I'm going to use this now to help this person because you understand it. So we look to the cross, and we see in Jesus. And, you know, when you get misunderstood, when you get insulted, when you get criticized, maybe you can say, Jesus, just a little bit now. I understand just a little bit of what you went through. And that's our chance to experience the 
the fellowship of his suffering. Can you think of how much Jesus suffered through his life? Think about his, think about his childhood. He must have gone to bed at night crying. I would guess most nights. He was a man of sorrows, not when he turned 30. He was a man of sorrows from the time he came on the scene. He was an illegitimate child. He had people who didn't understand him. His brothers didn't understand him. His sisters didn't understand him. His mother didn't understand him. He was age 12. Didn't you know? Didn't you know that I, I, I had to be here? Misunderstood. We worship a reject. And if I'm rejected... Is that a privilege? If I'm misunderstood, is that a privilege? If I'm criticized, is that a privilege? Can I say then, Jesus, I understand just a little bit, not much. I understand a little bit of your heart. I understand the fellowship of your suffering. So I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to think I deserve something better. You know, I don't want to grumble. I don't want to complain about my situation as if I... Give me something nicer. I deserve more. That's what the elder brother said. I want to humble myself before a kind, just, loving Father, knowing that nothing's going to separate me from the love of Christ. I'm not a victim. I'm not stuck. I'm walking into my destiny. And God's using the very things that I may think I don't want to. I used to avoid him. And thank God now, I'm beginning to embrace him at the outset. I'm just beginning to do that. I wish I'd learned when I was your age to embrace sorrow. Now, I'm not, I don't ask for it. You don't have to ask for it. You'll get it. <laughs> God will give it to you. He says, given to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in his name, but also to suffer for his sake. That's his gift to us, to suffer. So I know I know that, that and this will be hard, maybe hard for you to stand, but I want to I really help you tonight move out of a place where areas in your life where there are places where you are stuck. So in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to stand. If, uh, if you see that somehow you identified with something, in your life with a bad childhood or an illness or uh, parenting, difficult parents or a pastor or a teacher who's unkind to you. I think of, I think of some friends that Karen and I have. They, they look back and something stopped in them and they're blaming a teacher for something they have for 20 years. And it, Something stopped in them. Something got stuck. Just like to free them from that. So if there are areas in your life where you you realize you're stuck and that there are areas where you have taken on a, a victim mentality, we want to pray with you. So I want you to stand.